Well, first, let me start by telling you guys good morning. morning. That was pretty good. Let's try that again in Spanish. Maybe it'll be better. Buenos dias. That was much better. A lot of bilingual people here this morning. That is awesome. You know, there's a story that is told about this man that survived for over 20 years in a deserted island. And when the people found him, the, the, you know, the, his rescuers, they were astonished. They were truly astonished that he had created for him a self-sustaining, self-sufficient habitat where he could live very comfortably. In fact, as they walked through this island, they saw these pretty grand buildings. And on one side of the island, overlooking a lagoon, they saw this grand structure. And they were surprised by it and said, hey, what is that? And the castaways say, hey, well, that's, that's my house. Like, wow, that, that's, that's amazing. And as they kept walking, they noticed that on the other side of the lagoon from this island was this grand white structure building with a pinnacle on the top. And it was reaching pretty high up in the sky. And they said, wow, how did you do that? What is that? And he says, well, that's, that's my church. Like, oh. So he kept walking around the island. And on the other side of the island, they found a very similar building. It was a white building with a pinnacle on top. And it was reaching pretty high up in the sky and a little perplexed. And they said, wow, that looks familiar. What is that? And he said, oh, that is the church I used to go to. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, there is. <laughs> I was rough. You see, he, anyway. <laughs> There's a certain degree of truth to that story. Because it really captures our American individualism. Don't you agree? You know, there's an old adage that says that we build them and we quit them just as fast. I don't know if you noticed, but our culture doesn't really encourage commitment, not in marriage, not in the workplace, and certainly not at the church. We live in a world where the only thing that most people are really willing to commit to is having their own way. And we see right away that they had the same issues in, in the New Testament. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth faced a very similar problem. One group of people valued the leadership of Paul, and they would say, hey, Paul is our man. He started the church, and we're old school. You know, we, we like the one who started it all. And another one really valued the gifts of Peter over Paul, and they felt that Paul was inferior. They claimed that, you know, Peter is our rock. Why would we listen to anyone other than the guy that Jesus said he would build his church on? Yet another one said, hey, you guys have it all wrong. Apollos is the man. He is cultured. He is an Alexandrian. He is gifted in ways that Paul and Peter could never even imagine. You see, the people in Corinth allowed personal preference to get in the way of unity. And as a result, they became a me church. It's all about me. A church where everyone looks out for their own interest and not the interest of others. A church where partiality overrides unity. A church where being heard or winning an argument is more important than listening and winning others to the most important thing that we can be doing, and that's winning others for Christ. You see, they lost their focus. They lost their purpose. And as a result, they lost their witness and effectiveness in this world. It is a common but sad story. Because churches all over our beautiful country are torn apart, not by issues of doctrine or theology, but by the color of the carpet, the style of music, what ministries are more important than others, what ministries we should have or not have, or even just personality conflicts. And in the process, the church stops being the church. And it starts to look more like a place where people gather more because of their similarities. So it starts to look more like a country club. 
So you see, that is why it's so important that we as a church spend a few weeks on this series that we have been calling Mission Possible so that we can all understand that the mission of Jesus from the beginning is the same mission that we have as a church, and that is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And the way that we carry out that mission at this church is through our values. Last week, Larry spent some time talking about our first value, which is pursuing Christ over everything else. And this week, we're going to talk about our second value, which is building community. We want to look at why God values unity over individuality. We want to ask, what's the value about building community and why, why it's so important to this church? Well, the first thing that we need to understand is that the church is not a building. It's not four walls with the roof. Now, we call this building a church. When we say, are you going to church? We think of Canyon Hills as a building. But the Bible never uses the word in that way. The word church literally means the assembled ones or the ones gathered together. It comes from the word ecclesia. It does not refer to a building, but to a people. It's a community brought together by one thing that we all hold in common. You see, it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. It doesn't matter what your social status is or your position or what your upbringing was. The one thing that we all in this room hold true to and we have in common is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ himself. That is the glue of the church. It is the foundation of the church. We share God together. So in other words, the church is not a building. It's a community. So a Christian community is a group of people built upon an uncommon unity in Christ. And in a world where individualism reigns supreme, God works against the grain, calling us to this uncommon unity. Now, we say it's uncommon because it's the unity of the church should be unlike anything that the world has to offer because our foundation is a crucified Messiah. God came to earth to set aside his needs so that you and I could have our ultimate need met, and that is a relationship with God. And all that God asks for you in return is that you do the same for one another. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, your attitude, meaning my attitude, your attitude, everyone's attitude that believes in Christ should be the same that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as a result of this verse, in verse 4, it says, Each of you, every single one of you, including me, should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. So the church is built upon a crucified Messiah, someone who set aside his needs for the needs of others. And if that attitude is good enough for God himself, then it should be good enough for us. We are a place where personal agendas should be crucified upon the cross of self-sacrifice. So the church looks like a group of people who are seeking to put the needs of others ahead of their own. We become servants. We watch out for one another. We care for one another. We encourage one another, and we accept one another. If the, in this church, in a church of this size, it's really difficult to get to know everyone equally. And frankly, God doesn't expect you to know everyone. But you can get to know some. You can connect with a few people, and you can make it your goal to build them up, to say a word of encouragement. 
When they're down, you can take them out to eat when they're feeling lonely. And there's so many things to do because, you see, God is calling us to something very unique here. He is calling us to something special. He is calling us to build community. And building community first starts with fellowship with one another. And I find it interesting that when the New Testament chooses a physical activity to use as a metaphor for the Christian life, it's usually running. And one example of that is what Paul says in 2 Timothy when he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. You see, running is such a powerful picture of the Christian life because it emphasizes the continuous lifelong nature of discipleship. And when Paul wrote, finishing the race in 2 Timothy, he was near the end of his life and he knew it. He had been following Christ, and he was laboring in the gospel. And for over 30 years, ever since his conversion from the road to Damascus, he had been teaching and preaching and praying and writing, and he had been suffering. He experienced great joys and also devastating disappointments, but he kept going because he didn't expect anything else. He knew that this was no jog in the park. He knew that this was not a 100-yard dash. He knew that he was running a marathon. I think the Bible also uses running as a metaphor for the Christian life because it's also a solitary activity. You see, no one else can run the race for you. When the, run go, I mean, when the gun goes off, it's just you and the road. And in the same way, no one else can trust God for you. No one else can believe or follow Christ for you. Each of us, is responsible and accountable to God for our own faith and faithfulness and obedience and devotion. And just like a runner has to choose to take each individual step, so we have to choose every single day to follow Christ or not. We did it this morning. That's why you're all here. Now we have to do it again tomorrow morning because remember the church is not a building. No one else can make that choice for you. So what does all this have to do with fellowship? Well, just this. Christian fellowship is how we equip and strengthen and encourage each other so that we can run well and finish the race. Fellowship is all the things that we do and say to assist one another in living for Christ. I mean, think about the Boston or the, or the New York Marathon. I think all of you have seen those on TV at some point or another. Or another. What do you see besides ru the runners themselves? Well, you see aid stations with a bunch of volunteers that are passing out water. You see aid stations with medical technicians that are ready to help anyone who just passes out out of exhaustion. You see hundreds and thousands of spectators lining the route, lining the roads, and they're waving and they're cheering and they're ch shouting and they're just yelling, hey, you can do it. You're almost there. Keep running. You can make it. Don't give up. Now, those of you that have either run either half a marathon or a full marathon or even bike for long distances or competed in a triathlon, know exactly the importance of encouragement in a long race. Now, I've never competed in a triathlon, but I own one of those Ironman triathlon wristwatches. So it's pretty much the same thing. But you see, that is our role as members of a Christian community, members of the body of Christ. It is to refresh one another to catch one another when we fall and to bandage up the wounds, if you will, to encourage and cheer one another on. The only difference is, is that none of us are spectators or bystanders. We're all runners too. We're all running the race, and at the same time, we're helping one another run. That is what building community is all about. 
And fellowship, the Bible tells us, is not optional. It is absolutely essential to our spiritual growth and health and our ability to persevere in the faith. So then the definition of real fellowship is helping one another run the race, encouraging one another to persevere in the faith. And I explain that because we tend to use the term fellowship very loosely. We call it fellowship every time we either gather for coffee or some type of food. And some churches, including ours, sometimes we advertise things with the three Fs, right? Fun, fellowship, and food. And there's nothing wrong with that, but Christian fellowship is not just socializing. That's the difference between socializing outside of here and socializing in a Christian church setting. An activity or a conversation only qualifies if, as fellowship, but it has a specific purpose. And I told you what that specific purpose is. It's helping one another run the race and encouraging one another to persevere in the faith. If you're talking about weather or about politics or about the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, I don't know why they named it that, but, you know, those things may be enjoyable. And there's nothing wrong with that, but let me, I'm telling you, that's not fellowship. It is just a prelude to fellowship, a way to keep the relationship going so that genuine, true fellowship can take place. So it is beneficial, but in itself, not Christian fellowship. In fact, in Hebrews, puts it into perspective a little more. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, as we think about this verse, I want you to think about it for a second. And ask yourself, do you do that? Do you consider how to encourage others in the congregation towards love and good deeds? Because people think that that's a pastor's job. And guess what? It is a pastor's job. But this scripture is telling us that it's also your job. Note that he also assumes that if they are meeting together, that one of the things that is happening is mutual encouragement, which leads us to the second thing that building community is. It is encouraging one another. Here, the author of Hebrews is encouraging a community of believers to stand firm in the face of literal persecution. And he tells them to hold unswervingly to their faith in Jesus Christ. And how are they to accomplish that? How were they to stand their ground when a hostile environment, including the government, was literally throwing them in jail and confiscating their property? When they were facing the real possibility of shedding blood for their faith? Well, here's what he tells them to do. Spur one another towards love and good deeds. Meet together and encourage one another. In short, he tells them, build community and fellowship. All right, and I don't know if we really grasp what he is saying here. This is a community of Christians involved in a literal life and death struggle to hold on to their faith. A group of people who are trying to encourage one another to hang in there and not go back to the world, which could have easily happened. And that's why you and I also need to build community. Not just to make our Sunday mornings or our midweek groups, our C groups or, or small groups more pleasant and enjoyable. But to give us the strength to persevere in the faith. To give us the strength to run the race. Henry David Thoreau once wrote, The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I would be willing to bet that there are some people here today who are feeling a bit desperate. People who on the outside seem like they have it all together, they seem calm, but who on the inside are go probably going down for the third time. 
People who are desperate for a word of encouragement. Desperate, perhaps, for just someone to listen and care. Desperate for someone to remind them that God is with them and that he loves them, that he hasn't abandoned them. Someone to acknowledge their pain, someone to grieve with them, someone to rejoice with them, someone to love them. That is what we're here for, folks. To be Jesus to one another by the power of the Spirit of Christ that is living with us, that is what we're supposed to do. You see, fellowship and encouragement are not just enjoyable side effects of Christianity, but they are essential to our ability to persevere in the faith. In Hebrews, again, it says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So what keeps us from being hardened or deceived by sin? The scripture tells us that it's the encouragement of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. You know, Mark Twain once said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Building community by encouraging one another is very important because in our country, and I think none of you are going to be surprised by this because our social bonds have been steadily eroding over the last 50 years. We know that people are less connected, less involved, less active in their communities, and the glue that used to hold this beautiful American society together, some things that academics call social capital, has been getting weaker and weaker. I mean, did you know that the percentage of adults who belong to a bowling league today is only about a quarter of what it was in the 60s? The percentage of people who volunteer in political campaigns, you know, when they stuff envelopes and they make phone calls and they go door to door, is about half of what it used to be in the 60s. An active membership in local clubs and organizations, like important ones like the PTA, it's dropped about half as well since the 70s. People are visiting one another less and less frequently. They're not having people over for dinners anymore or even just to play cards. In short, every objective measure of participation in civic life is declining. And I mentioned that to make you two points. First, there are forces in our society which are pulling us apart, isolating us, making it more difficult for us to come together in community. And we are a church in this society. In America, we are subject to those same forces. We have to work intentionally. We have to work intentionally at building and maintaining community within the church, or those same forces will separate us and isolate us. And we are rowing against the current of our culture. And if we do nothing, if we don't intentionally build community, we're going to be swept downstream along with everyone else. We need encouragement because it helps us keep the faith. Second, this gives us an opportunity. Although the level of connectedness between people and our society has dropped, their need for connectedness has not. God made us social beings. People, and people are still hungry for fellowship. And as they see our community, as they see our love for one another and our care and concern for one another and our support for one another, they will want that for themselves. They will want to be a part of that and we will have the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Because it is through our connection with Jesus Christ that you and I are connected. Our common union, or as I should say, our uncommon union with him produces our union with each other. And that's what people want. So let us build community by encouraging one another. Third, building community is accepting one another. Accepting one another. Now, who here remembers the show Cheers? 
There's some people that remember nuts. Well, about half of you guys, all right. It ran from 82 to 93, 11 seasons. People loved it. Well, let me give you a newer one that's in syndication. How about Friends? Who remembers Friends? All of you guys should remember Friends, right? I know you guys know what I'm talking about. And there's a lot of shows like Friends and Cheers. And you guys want to know what they all have in common? They all tap into the deep human longing for community. They all show people who care about each other, who accept one another in spite of their many failings and frailties and idiosyncrasies. People who share this emotional bond, who are committed to one another. I mean, do you guys remember their theme songs? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? Nobody wants to admit that because they're, they're that age. Just because it was a pub, you know, it's okay. And they're always glad you came and you want to be there when you, I mean, you guys remember that. What about the one for friends? They tapped into that emotional. They said, I'll be there for you, right? When the rain starts to pour. The whole theme song was about being there for each other and accepting each other. But isn't that what we all want? People who care about us, people who are glad when we show up, people who will support us and stand by us in the good and the bad times. People who will accept us instead of criticizing and judging us. People we can just be ourselves around. I don't know about you, but I want that. I need that. And I think that you do too. In fact, I think we all do. Well, I've got good and bad news for you. The bad news is that Cheers and Friends and all of their TV versions of community are just pretend. And people love those shows. They tuned, in, they tuned in every single week by the millions because they desperately wanted to be part of that kind of a community. They see something in those characters and those relationships with one another that they want. But folks, it's not real. The good news is that it can be real. The good news is that there is a place where that kind of community can and does exist. And that place is the church and our small groups. Or at least it should be. That's the kind of place that the church should be, the kind of place that the church can be, the kind of place that Jesus Christ intended his church to be. You and I know that too often it's just the opposite. But we have to recognize after this morning that that it is our job to make it that kind of place. And I'm excited because I see this church that kind of place where discouraged and heartbroken people find strength and healing, where confused people find help and guidance, where people weighed down by sin and forgiveness can find relief. I see Canyon Hills, the kind of place where our lives are radically changed by the love of God flowing through us, through his people, and our relationship and our love for one another. And as we become more and more that kind of a church, the world won't be able to help but notice. When they walk through those doors, they will sense that something is different in here. They will sense that something, when they go home, they just say, you know, I don't know what it is, but, but I want that. They will want what we have, and eventually we will be able to tell them that what we have is not a what at all. That it's not a religion, that it's not a philosophy. It's not a program of self-improvement. The what is a who. And that's Jesus Christ living in us and through us. John says in chapter 13, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, he says, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
You see, the most powerful argument for the truth of the gospel is not the sophistication of our theological statements. It is not the historical evidence for the fact of the resurrection. It is not our good works or even our changed lives. The most powerful argument for the truth of the gospel is our love for one another. That is what Jesus said would distinguish us from the rest of this world, among all the people of this earth, as his disciples. You know, I heard someone say once that we should preach the gospel wherever we go, and if necessary, we should use words. People will know about Christ because of our actions, because of our love for one another. We can build community and accept one another by bearing with one another. That means accept. That means putting up with them, accepting one another, overlooking the wrongs and the faults, and being patient and slow to criticize. In fact, Paul wrote in Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. And there's that word again, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity, unity, that's where we get the word community. Make every effort to keep the community of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So what does this tell us? It tells us that we will, in all likelihood, have things that we need to accept of one another. At some time, I think all of us will find our fellow creatures less than ideal. And the possible grounds for such dissatisfaction with one another is endless. I mean, we, I'm, I'm sure we can come up with a long list, you know, the way people talk, think, look, the way they eat, the way they raise their kids or don't raise their kids, the way they take care of their house, the way they handle their finances, the way they manage their time. But what do we do? Do we just pretend that they're not that way? Do we pretend that it doesn't bother us? Well, no, because Christianity is not a religion of pretending. So what we do then is that we choose to graciously graciously tolerate one another in spite of all the things that we find less than ideal without two things, without gossiping to our friends and without judging them. Lastly, we build community by serving one another. When someone is in need, should we just each take care of our own problems and expect others to do the same? Should we make a sympathetic comment to our friends about the difficulties other people seem to be having? Should we just tell people who are in need to buck up and trust in God and he will provide? Well, Galatians tells us that carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. He says that we are to bear for one another's burdens, not just put up with or tolerate each other's weaknesses, but actively use our strengths and our gifts to help them out. We are to serve one another in love. We are to carry each other's burdens. We are to live as those who are responsible to help one another. Now, the kind of burdens that Paul was talking about here were literal physical burdens, like helping someone move, like helping somebody rake the leaves or cooking a meal or working on their car or plumbing, whatever it may be, physical burdens. It also talked about financial burdens. And I know that one's tricky because most of us don't like to talk about our finances. So what are we supposed to do? If we're made aware of a need for money or goods and you're able to do so, well, he expected people to just take care of it. He's also talking about health burdens. When someone gets sick, we can help by bringing them meals, by prayer for them and with them, by calling them, by trying to encourage them. It also talks about emotional and spiritual burdens. 
Because there's people who are grieving, people who have suffered a loss, people who are depressed, sad or anxious or worried, people experiencing difficult family situations. That is what Paul is talking about when he says, bear with one another and carry each other's burdens. And we can help one another bear these kinds of burdens by just being there. That's all we have to do. By expressing care and concern. By listening, by praying with them and for them. By acknowledging their hurt instead of just ignoring them. But note that this is not just an exhaustive list. These are just some examples. The key is to be aware and intentional and be looking for opportunities to serve one another. To have our eyes and our ears open for signs of a need that we can help meet. We build community by using our gifts and abilities to serve one another. And I don't know if you noticed, but all of you guys are very gifted at something. And First Peter tells us that each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, we spent the whole summer talking about grace in its various forms. And now here this scripture is, they're telling us that we should use all of that to be gracious to each other, to offer grace to one another. And all those forms that we talked about, all those grace forms that we talked about, build community. So when we truly fellowship and encourage and accept and serve one another, we start to become the church that God intended. A community of people built upon an uncommon unity in Christ. And we know that God valued building community, and that's why we value community as a church. So much so that we have an entire program called C-Groups, so that you guys can practice all of these principles. Practice fellowship and encouragement and acceptance and service. And we understand that there's several reasons why people can't join a community or be involved in some type of a midweek activity to build community. And I understand that because about 20 years ago for me, when someone came to me and said, hey, Carlos, you want to join our small group? You know, there's, there's different names every church you go to. And, and I was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't really listening to him, and I didn't want to listen to him, mainly because there was like three things that I, there was more important things to do. There was better things to do. And for me, at that time, I was climbing the corporate ladder. Well, it was more like a step ladder for me, but nevertheless, I was climbing something, and that was more important to me. So when somebody told me, hey, come join our small group, I'm like, no, I work and, you know, emails and all, well, we didn't have that many emails. But at that time, that's what I was doing. And then there was more important things to do. Like I was a club soccer coach and if it was going to get in the way of practice, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, if the Lakers were playing, well, I'm not going to do that. And if the Angels are playing, well, I'm not going to do that either. So there was more important things to do. And then the third thing, and probably the main thing as to why I really didn't want to join a small group is because of all those Jesus freaks. Have you guys ever noticed those guys? When you go to a small group and they want to ask you what your needs are and you're afraid they may ask you that you may pray or something. And, you know, I was afraid that they might ask me how much I earn and then take note of that. And then at the end of the month, I'm going to get an invoice for 10% of that. So I I want to stay away from those guys, you know? But then I started reading what the Bible says about building community. This is my Bible, by the way. But the Bible says about building community, and I discovered that I had it all wrong. And I discovered that it wasn't an option that Jesus was telling us to build community for a reason. So I joined the small group, and it was hard. It was hard to, uh, to, to just show up. But we found the courage to do that, and once we, found, we showed up, we realized that those Jesus freaks weren't that bad after all. There were normal people just like me, assuming I was normal. And then I realized that this patience, that this patience that Jesus is talking about here in the Bible was really for them because they had to have a lot of patience for me. 
So I discovered a lot of these things. And it's funny because God has a sense of humor because I was so against just belonging to a group of commun- a community like this that God made me a pastor. And now he says, guess what? Now you're going to convince people to join community groups. <laughs> so if you're not in a community group, be careful. God may ask you to take this job. I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, at Canyon Hills, it is so important to us that we build community that all of you guys have a list in front of you. And that list has 20 groups that you can participate in. And I just want to publicly take the time to thank every single C group host and facilitator here this morning because they get it. They open up their house every single week and they clean it up and they make sure that there's a snack there so that all of us, without whoever it can, can, will show up to that house and then somebody else is going to facilitate or lead a, a study. I mean, these 20 people plus their spouses and all the houses they represent want to open up their house to you. That's building community. I, I just want to thank you for, for just getting that part of, of what God is asking you to do and being faithful and responding to that. Do you know we have community groups called Sermon Base? Like on Wednesdays, if you come, they, you don't even have to do homework. All you have to do is listen to the message on Sundays. You show up on a Wednesday and they're Sermon Base. They're going to talk about what the sermon was that Wednesday. There's a group called Extravagant Love. Now, most of you might remember that because you probably took it during the spring. Well, guess what? It's being offered as a C group this fall. And if you want to strengthen your marriage, if you want to work on your marriage, come and take that community group. It's going to be offered in about two weeks. If you want to discover more about Canyon Hills or your giftedness or you have any questions, we have a whole class that is called Step Class where four different speakers are going to come and going to speak to you about four different topics. And all you have to do is come to church on at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays and be part of that. It is so important to us that we have an entire children's ministry program set up for that so that you can feel comfortable dropping off your kids so that you can practice building community. If you want topics about, you know, the end of times or, you know, if you're having a hard time in life and you want to know what God's promises say, there's all kinds of topics for that. You see, God didn't leave it an option to join a midweek group. God didn't leave it an option for us to practice this community. So let's show the world that the church is just more than a social club with a spiritual flavor. I think we should come together and build community and show the world that the church is a place of real relationships, of real life, of real life changing, taking place around us. I think we need to get together, build community, and show that the, the world that what real fellowship and building community looks like. It's our job. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful to you for your for your word this morning, Lord. For building us as social beings. But at this time, Father, I, I want to take this opportunity just to lift every single person to you this morning. Lord, for I know that you are faithful and you have been speaking into people's hearts and helping them understand the importance of building community with their fellow believers. Father, I pray that at this time, if there is conviction, that you would open up a pathway, a door for them to be able to consider joining something that's greater than themselves. To start to practice serving one another and consider others better than themselves by, by being humble. Lord, I pray that you would open up the pathway that we all would be able to step into your will and that your will would involve building a community. Lord, and then I pray that it wouldn't be for our sake, Lord, for, for other people to see that there is something different in us. 
Because ultimately, Father, not only do you want us to be in heaven with you, but you want us to bring as many people with us as we can. And you tell us that every day through your word. Father, I pray that you would allow us to be a faithful generation, Lord, as we sing about. We love you this morning and we dedicate this service to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.